Hello and welcome to The Bright Side here on 102.5 WFLA News Radio. Uh, that was nice. Uh, nice. You're getting that radio voice. Getting that radio voice. Oh, yeah. I'm uh, Dr. Joel Hunter, and I'm here with my dad. Dr. Joel Hunter. And uh, we we are uh, the hosts of this show, which is why why we're here right now. This whole show is this idea of of trying to help you help others, uh, both to kind of be inspired to and realize that that's that's a good thing to do, uh, and then uh, ideally some practical yeah tips and tricks. You absolutely, know? leave nickels around town, things that's like that. Right, that's right. You could, you, do you, that. Could, you could leave twenty nickels for just the cost of a dollar right around <laughs> town. Make people's days. Uh, so today, July sixth, uh, and uh, and special day in history, Joel. Special day in history. This was the day that John Lennon and Paul McCartney first met each other. Oh wow! Yeah, they were they were in a they were in a place. I, the name of it is uh, Woolton Feet, uh, which sounds so British <laughs> that uh, it it has it has an air of believability to it. And so it w- it wasn't until three years later that they formed the Beatles, but they were teenagers. They met. And, uh, and, uh, it went something like this. He was like, well, hello, I'm, hello, I'm Paul McCartney. And he's like, hey, I'm John Lennon. Oh, I like music. Do you? And then he said, I do. He's like, do you like Beatles? And he's like, I do. And then the rest is history. I bet that was it. I bet that was verbatim. <laughs> it's really What close. went on in that original we meeting? We don't have any original audio recordings, but, uh, but for uh, those of you listening, you kind of get an idea of what that was. And they both had burr haircuts at the time. Yeah, they did. Did they? <laughs> no. <laughs> I have no idea. I didn't know I was missing some trivia. I'm making piece. it up, too. <laughs> I'm not, I'd be terrible at improv. Because uh, I'd be like, I know. you're not holding a gun. That's your finger. <laughs> you can't fool me. I know. <laughs> oh, man. Um, how, about, uh, how about you? Do you know any other interesting July 6th facts? George W. Bush, one of my favorite guys on the planet, was oh, yeah. born on this day on July 6th. He was the 43rd Third. president. Yeah. 43rd. I, only surpassing popularity in my mind by a few others, including his mother, Barbara. Oh yeah, she was yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's hard to find people that don't like Barbara Bush. Yes, uh, and uh, and if you're listening and you're like, I don't like Barbara Bush, just know <laughs> that puts you in a pretty isolated crowd. <laughs> You'll have a hard time starting a Facebook group of uh, I hate Barbara Bush, and so I'd advise yeah. against it altogether. Uh, she was really loved, and uh, Barbara Bush uh, famously friends with maybe. Nancy Reagan, uh, and uh, and it's her birthday today as well, July sixth. Uh-huh. And I just I think the bashes they probably had uh, a combined Nancy Reagan George W Bush where he'd be like, look at all these candles, and uh, and then she'd be like, don't do drugs, everyone, and then he'd be like, yeah. that's true. <laughs> I'm gonna blow all these candles out. That's not, that's not, that's not as good. A, I thought I had a good George W. Bush. One of the things about uh, getting to do this and hang out with uh, all of our all of our friends who are listening is that uh, we, you know, they can't see it. You know, if you're listening, you can't see this, but we have to wear these headphones. Yes. And so I get to hear how bad my impressions are. Uh, and up until now, there were a lot of them I thought, I probably got that one nailed. Yeah. Uh, but no, uh, not really. Not so well, it's much. It's like, like hearing yourself for the first time on tape. 
Yeah, you know, a- the, no, I've never met anybody that doesn't isn't startled and say, "Do I sound like that? Yeah. Does that sound like me?" You know, that's that has to do with the way that we hear. There's two different ways. There's uh, there's ah, this is the physician coming out. Yeah, this the, is what I love about this guy. There, Go ahead. There is uh, there's there's hearing that we traditionally think of as you know this hearing that passes through our eardrum, our tympanic membrane, and that's uh, that's you know kind of airborne. That's what you hear from the outside. But there's also conductive hearing. Uh, and that is what you have uh, inside your voice, the resonance that's inside off of the bones in your head. And that's, and that's, so we get the more of the conductive version of it when we're talking. Those, those headphones that you're supposed to be able to wear while you're uh, driving or riding a bike or whatever, because they, they're bone conducting headphones, they work entirely on that conductive stuff. Uh, oh, they, really? They send the frequency into the bone. And so then you can hear, but your ears are totally free. There's nothing stuck in your ear holes. That's the <laughs> That's the medical thing. The ear hole. Yeah. The ear hole remains patent. Uh, and, Try not to get too technical for us here. And so, but that's the bone. So when we talk, that the voice that we have grown up listening to of our own is the conductive hearing version. So when you actually uh, hear it through your own eardrum, you know, when you hear your voice oh, from the really? outside, that, that that is what it sounds like to everybody Interesting. else. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I remember we had that uh, tape recorder in our house growing mm-hmm. up, uh, that, uh, I'm not really sure. Did you did you give speeches into that or something? Did you, was that why we had? I'm that? not sure. I probably just recorded notes that I that I wanted to remember later on. I, I'm not sure. Yes, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Um, so it was. Uh, but I recorded. I recorded whatever they were. They they got deleted by me because it was me being like, singing songs. But I remember hearing that for the first time, being like, "Oh my goodness, my it sounds a whole lot different." Yeah, a whole lot. You know what? Here's a story that's really sad. You want to hear a sad story? Please. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> when I was a uh, graduate from high school, um, my they had just come out with uh, cassette tapes. And my parents who were, you know, my dad was a factory worker. My stepdad was a factory worker. And my mom was a beautician. And they really didn't have very much money. But they just went all out and, uh, <clears throat> and uh, bought me a, a tape recorder with little microphones. And, uh, and my whole family was together. And, um, and so I went around to every one of my family, mm. to Pop and to Gran and to Aunt Francis and Uncle Max. Uncle Max is the one that talked me to tell stories. Yeah, these are all, all these are legendary <laughs> yeah, names. Yeah, legendary names. And even my Aunt Maud, who was this old, you know, <laughs> World War I army nurse, you know, just, just, oh. Um, and, and um, but every one of my close relatives, and I got them on tape. And I took that cassette to college, my high, uh, high university, and um, and and one night um, I listened to this this song that came on, and I said, I want, I really want to record that. <clears throat> and the only tape I had was no. that thing I recorded over oh. those voices. Do you know what I would give today yeah. to have that? Isn't that it great? was just the wow. dumbest move I've ever, well, not the dumbest move I've ever made. I wish, but <laughs> it was one of the dumbest things I've wow. ever done. Yeah, that's really, really hard. Oh, yeah, because you, you just don't, it's hard to have, it's hard to have really lifelong insight uh, in in the moment like that and uh, and realize how much more you'd probably want those voices oh. later than that song. I, I kind of get that. I, I, uh, Trying to think if I have any sort of uh, relevant examples. Um, I had an original recording of Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, and I, 
and I used it to take notes on. Uh, I just drew cartoons and stuff, and it's useless now. I don't know. I was trying to make it feel just better. Just for white space. I'm thank, not even, thank you. I'm not I, even I, sure if that really worked. Yeah. I, I. <laughs> um, so today, our guest, is, is I'm very excited about our guest because uh, he's somebody that uh, I... Have, uh, I've known for a couple of years. Um, I happen to be one of his uh, LinkedIn friends. Uh, Is that yeah, right? He and I he, are very close on LinkedIn. He just told us he hit the limit. He's 30,000. <laughs> yeah. This guy has a network like few people I've ever known. If you have a computer, it's very likely you are LinkedIn friends. <laughs> That's right. With, with our guest today. Um, and uh, this, how how do you feel like we should feel like we should really kind of just have a big big yeah. cliffhanger teaser? Yeah, big cliff, big cliffhanger. Uh, yeah. If if you have uh, mm. if you have lived in Florida for any amount of time, you have uh, been influenced by this man in one way or another. You've been around buildings that he has been. You may have walked on his property. Yes. Uh, and uh, and let's see what else do we have. Yeah, also, and speaking of uh, my time at Ohio University, where I was very active in the civil rights movement. This uh, man also has a deep connection to the civil rights movement. Yeah, and which he is uh, known for, yes. uh, and and I uh, now now to me too because I did not know that up until uh, up until recently. And we are going to talk about that, and I'm very excited to hear about it. We are going to go to a break now, but when we come back, we have our special guest for today. Stick around. Welcome back to the bright side here on News Radio 1025 WFLA. Uh, Dr. Joel Hunter here and uh, Dr. And Joel here. Hunter there. I, I, what, <laughs> what's the most confusing way I could say that? I don't I, know. Physici- that one. Physician and pastor helping you help others. That's right. That's right. However, that makes me sound like I am a physician and a pastor. And I, I would not be a good pastor <laughs> at all. I would not be a good physician. So <laughs> this works out very well. It works out very well. Uh, today, our guest that we're really, really excited to introduce you to is John Crossman. And uh, we're not here today to talk about Crossman and Co. and real estate and what what he's uh, done and uh, the fact that he's Orlando Business Journal, one of the CEOs of the year and all that stuff. We're here today to talk about uh, the part of his life that's that's much more impressive to me, and that's just what he's done to help others. I mean, but, it, but wait a second, because yeah. I want to follow up on a, on a teaser. Oh, because we said, I said, I, if you're from this area, you've likely walked on his property. Oh yeah, that's true. You because, did say that. Now what would make you make a, what would, a ridiculous <laughs> claim? I bet you don't have any factoids that could back that up. <laughs> he owns like 300 uh, or, or represents more than 395 shopping centers in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Tennessee with over, listen to this, 28 million square feet under leasing and management. That really is incredible. I, I mean, that, that factoid, I think that was worth making him mad. Uh, well, the- <laughs> and, and not only that, when we talked about networking, uh-huh. th- this guy has almost 5,000 Facebook friends. You know, that makes me feel like our Facebook relationship might be more impersonal than I realized. <laughs> no, you're, you're number one. You are number one. You are. Do you, do you, did you ever have a MySpace page? Did you have one of those back? Do you remember they, MySpace? They had this thing with the top eight. They introduced it after you, MySpace was the original Facebook uh, for the old school folks like yeah. me. Oh yeah, and uh, us 
Zennials, uh, and but they they had you had your friends on MySpace, but then they introduced this your top eight, and you got to choose the eight pictures of your friends that showed. Oh my good, it really it was a lot of drama, a lot of drama because yeah. you you know what did well what did I do to get kicked out of your <laughs> exactly, top eight? Exactly, yeah, it was, oh, it was really, that's not a good. Thank heavens that's gone for you because it'd be a nightmare yeah. to manage. That. <laughs> That'd be bad. Yeah, it'd be really that would be really really tough. Um, so you have uh, uh, you've been in Florida for a long time. Is that is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I've been here since probably about 1990. I was, I, mean, I was born in Florida in Fort Lauderdale, and then I went to high school in West Palm Beach, and then Central Florida since about 1991. Gotcha. And then is it FSU? Is that where yeah, you... Yeah, went to FSU undergrad, ran track at FSU. So, really? Yeah, really passionate about that. Uh, I did not youngest, know that. Youngest person to be inducted into the FSU Hall of Fame. Is that right, John? The is, College of Business Hall of Fame. The other one is Jim Seneff and I are the only two in Orlando. Really? Members. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. How about that? And is, is that for... Is that a track? And, is that a track? It's college of business. That's not a track thing. That's college, college of business. Because yeah. yeah. I was like, you must be so fast. <laughs> <laughs> one day at one time. Yeah, that was true. That's, at one time, that was true. That's really because there's a lot. I mean, with track and field, like with track, there's a lot of uh, technique that goes into yep. how you're actually running. Is that yep, right? That's a big deal. Because I always just assumed it was like whoever was just uh, the most like determined, you know, no. whoever, whoever was like, <laughs> the, the, I did that the most, no, but, but there's like an actual, like, there's like, there's like hip rotation, toe placement, yes. stuff like that. Right. Uh, cause is it true that if you're supposed to run really fast, you're supposed to run mostly on your, uh, on the balls of your feet or is that a myth? No, that's, it's all in the ball. It went sprinting. So 400 meters was uh-huh. my event. You, your heel never touches the ground. Really? That's also in the 800 and in the 1500 as well. I would tell you that most races now, your heel never touches. Really? I That's, didn't If you look at track that. spikes, you uh-huh. notice that the spikes are on the front. There's nothing in the back because your heel never hits. I never, I mean, I've, I've seen pictures of the bottom of one of those shoes, but I never put that together. That's right. really, really interesting. Well, if I don't learn anything else today. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me turn us towards something that might be, you know, because there, there's probably a good portion of our listening audience that runs track. Yeah, I've But there's probably amount. even a larger portion. Um, that really care about uh, the health of our community in many ways. Um, And one of the things that we love to do is get very powerful people on this program that have used their power uh, to really help others. And one of the things I really admire about John is his record in the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, John, can you tell us, first of all, let's start with your dad, you know, kind of how you developed this heart yeah. For those that were being left out. Well, sure. I, I'll go real, just real quick back to my grandfather, who had a dry clean business in Toledo, Ohio. And my dad grew up there with his brothers working there. And uh, my grandfather hired black and white, and he, he employed black and white employees and treated everybody the, the same. Mm. So my dad um, got out of college, became a salesman, and felt a calling to go to the ministry and uh, was a Methodist minister, went to Emory in, in Atlanta. And then that was in the 60s. And so that was the, that sort of the beginning of that at that era. And dad was there and dad was a part of it. Mm. Um, and so I think that his combination of like knowing a, a basic right or wrong combined with his faith, combined with that situation, which you were also involved with, Dr. Hunter, mm-hmm. uh, that that gave opportunity to, to take a stand at different topics. And yeah. I mean, and for anyone who thinks about today, you know, that there's a there's a lot of uh, divisiveness and kind of uh, there's a lot of polarity in our politics, especially concerning race. Uh I got to imagine Georgia in the 60s right. uh, was, was a little bit a little hotter of a cauldron to be in. Uh, but you were telling us, uh, actually, when we were talking earlier. Uh, actually, I think he was in Indianapolis. Was, was, your dad was in Indianapolis he, or he, was it in Georgia? It was, it, well, he met my mom in Indianapolis. Okay. And then was, was in Georgia oh, for seminary. Went to Georgia. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. My bad. Go ahead. Woo! 
Joel won one. Yep, the younger generation wins again. Well, that is, I push up my spectacles. <laughs> uh, so, uh, would you mind kind of uh, telling a little bit or uh, retelling the story and uh, of of what your dad did under yeah. really? In, I mean, that's intense conditions, and I can imagine sure. that would have changed you. Well, so there's a couple that I'd say that jump out to me, and and uh, the first one in context, and and some of your listeners may not know this, but old school church, you have two pulpits. You have the big pulpit, which is the word of God, the pastor preaches, and you have a little pulpit, and that's where you announce bake sales and things like that. I did not know that. Yeah. So then a lot of a lot of old school, you know. Uh, Protestant denominations, that's how it, it sets up. Mm-hmm. And in the old school world is no one speaks from the pulpit, the main pulpit, except that pastor, period, and a story. It's a big deal for a pastor to ever get up to their pulpit. They never give it up when they're in town. Um, this is a very rare thing because you're handing off the word of God in that situation. So starting in the late 1960s, going all the way through the 70s, 80s, and 90s, my dad would give up his pulpit uh, once a year to Dr. Oswald Bronson, who was the president of Bethune-Cookman University. Mm. And uh, then Dr. Bronson would bring his concert chorale. So I grew up in a world around historically black colleges. So that's my earliest memories are of that connection. Because Bethune-Cookman's a black college, right? Bethune-Cookman's yeah. a black college. And so, but what's significant about that is that if you're sitting in that congregation in 1971, uh, and you're listening and you're an all-white church with an African-American pastor, that probably is the first time in your life you've had a black male have an authority position over you. Mm-hmm. If he is a pastor in that moment said, we're going to do this today, uh-huh. you have to obey that. That's an interesting right. point. So, yeah, so people didn't. People today wouldn't know that, but then my, my dad got death threats for doing that. Wow. Yeah. So being a Methodist Measures kid, we moved around a lot, uh, but wherever we moved, Bethune-Cookman came to us. So when I'm driving on the road and I see a Bethune-Cookman license plate, I, f- I feel a really warm connection yeah. because that's part of my my childhood, part of my history. You know, it's almost reminiscent of, I mean, your dad, it's like Atticus Finch. I mean, it sounds like you yeah. grew up in the To Kill a Mockingbird. I mean, yes. like the story. I mean, it's just such a, to get death threats over stuff that's, you know, now looking back is so, of, well, of course you would, but you know, it's, it's, it was a different time. I mean, it's things that required a lot of bravery then. And I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about your story is that a lot of times when people have a, this is such a derisive term, but like a pet cause, you know, that, you know, I really care about animal rights or I really care about, you know, right. whatever. Gluten. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's, there's, there's things that are. <laughs> We're going to get so many letters. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do care about animals eating gluten. Uh, that's my cause. But, you know, but there are things that they have this, this, uh, almost the, the air of, of resume padding type stuff. But for you, this whole focus on inclusion and, and, and diversity and stuff, that, that's, I mean, that's in your blood. That's been there right. since from, from what you grew up. Um, is that something that, you know, actually we have to go to a break, but when we come back, uh, the question I'm going to have for you uh, is, is whether you have found that your, your interest in, in, in who you're helping and how you're helping, whether that's uh, evolved over time or whether that's just been something that's been really consistent from the beginning for you. Um, we're going to hear the answer to that when we get back from this break. We will see you in a few minutes. Welcome back to The Bright Side. Uh, I'm Joel Hunter, and I'm here with my dad, who's Joel Hunter. We're all Joel Hunter here, except for... <laughs> it's one big happy family of Joel Hunters. <laughs> That's right. And our guest, John Crossman, <laughs> who, uh, if if you've uh, heard of Crossman and go, he he's, he's does uh, real estate stuff that I don't understand at all, because that whole thing's a, such a, it's a very mysterious uh, world to me. But what I, I do understand and admire about you is is the the way that you... 
really have a heart. It's not a thing where you say, hey, I also do this thing as a tax write-off or as a way that people think I'm a good guy. You really have a heart um, for helping the vulnerable and helping those who, who need help. Um, what I was asking before the break was, you know, a lot of that stuff has been focused on uh, uh, diversity and, and helping uh, specifically with college education right. for, for black students and things like that. Has that been something that over time you've realized, hey, there's a need here, I, I can help? Uh, or kind of from the beginning, you're like, uh, you know, college matters and, and diversity matters. And how, how did, how did the, the way that you help today which feel free to go into any details on that you want. Right. How did, the, how did it evolve into what it is now? Mm-hmm. Well, let me, let me first say this big picture on the topic of serving. You know, I believe uh, as a Christian that there are certain things that all Christians should have a level of interest in. Um, so, for example, if, uh, if somebody said, man, I'm a fired up Christian, I'm really about uh, my faith, but I just never read. Mm-hmm. I'm not a reader, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I don't think that would pass the test with Dr. Hunter that you just don't read the word and then you're just, you know, that doesn't work. So if somebody said, man, I read the Bible every day and I'm really a strong Christian, I just don't pray. I just don't like it. I'm not into that. It's, I'm, not, I'm not called to pray. Like that's mm-hmm. ridiculous, right? Am I right? So there are things as Christians we're all called to do. In my opinion, when we think about prayer and we think about studying scripture and we think about service, those are completely in a continuum that all Christians are called to do, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like uh, we hear sometimes people will say after a tragedy, prayer's not enough. Well, prayer was never meant to be the only thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're always called to people of faith to pray and do stuff. It's mm-hmm. always combined with something together. Right. So I think that for me at an early age, when I was able to have some success in business, I felt called to use my skill set and my giftings to, to make an impact. I will tell you that, no, I didn't always know there was going to be historically black colleges or diversity or inclusion. You know, like Those things uh, I ended up having a good pedigree with because my dad was involved in and I had some different connectivity because of my past. Uh, but I did a lot of experimentation. I tried a lot of stuff. I volunteered uh, once a week at uh, Arnold Palmer Hospital for a year. Hmm. And um, I was not great at that. Uh, but, you know, I, I'm glad I did it because it gave me perspective about working well, what, at, at what a hospital. specifically did you do there? I worked at an information desk. Okay. And so I sat there and people would come in and ask questions. And oh, I would okay. just sort of, you know, help direct them to an area. I and, get you. Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, there were times working there was wonderful because you'd see a first-time parent. Um, but then there were times I saw people that lost a child mm-hmm. um, and it was devastating. Yeah. And um, I, I now think that at some point in my time, my retirement, I like to do hospital visitation. Again, that was something else my dad did. And so I feel I like that. But the administrative part, I wasn't that great at. Yeah. So one of the things I would tell your listeners when you're thinking about it is I think if you're a person of faith, I think it's all on us to think about serving. And I think there's a lot to be said for experimentation. You, you don't have to commit to stuff for yeah. a lifetime. You could commit a season. Yep. You could volunteer at your church just to open doors. You could volunteer uh, for the Red Cross. And yep. I mean, you could do all kinds of stuff and just try. And I think for me, I tried to think about where my skill set was, where can I make the greatest impact, right? Mm-hmm. And when you think about like, if I could just say, say uh, gosh, are we done with uh, race issues in this country? No, we're not done. That yeah. They're there. And so I think that through my skills and gifting, I have resources to add on that one to help solve that problem. So I'm, not, I'm focused there now. Um, but if there were something else that came up that I felt like I had similar gifting, I would focus where I feel like there's the greatest need. That's really that's really wise. And I think one of the things that um, that Joel um, brought up was was more of a hope than a reality when he said, you know, man, you did things. And your dad did things uh, where today we thought, well, that's that's perfectly normal, like having an African-American preacher in in a white church. 
well, it's not perfectly normal yet. Right. I mean, it's it's still a risk. Right. Um, and and we wish it were, and it should be, um, because we're all you know of one faith. But yet, there still is kind of this institutional racism yeah. um, um, that runs through our culture. And so, tell us about you were awarded um, the Humanitarian of the Year from the African American Chamber of Commerce of Central Florida. Uh, where did that come from? What was that like? Well, it, it was awesome. Uh, it was an awesome experience. Um, can I just say one more quick story about my Absolutely. dad and then answer that? Absolutely. In 1970, uh, my dad was named by the Sun Sentinel as, as the bridge builder uh, because his ability to get black and white communities to work together. And later on in the 80s, he was recognized for his work with Jewish and Christian. And before my dad passed away in 2004, he actually uh, organized a group called Bridge Builders in Winter Park mm. to get the African-American community in Winter Park more plugged in. And so last year, um, I was so honored, uh, Governor Scott uh, and some other legislatures named uh, the rail bridge over 1792 in Maitland, uh, named yeah. it the Reverend Cro Ken Crossman Bridge. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. So, wow, that's so, so, so neat. That's, what, that's so, what we go under, underneath all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's really yeah. cool. That, that has a new meaning now. That's right. amazing. So there's, there's a sign on You can see it. And what's cool about that is it's, and you can Google this, it's you know the bridge for the bridge builder. And I mm. think that I was really intrigued by how that really hit people. But I think in an era where some people are talking about building walls and some people are talking about tearing down monuments, to take a bridge, and it's not a cool bridge or a big bridge or anything like that. It's a real normal, regular, mm -hmm. kind of small bridge. Mm -hmm. uh, but to recognize someone who's getting people to work together. When we did this ceremony to announce that and talk about it, I worked really hard to have equal representation from Republicans and Democrats, Good. Good. and we got equal support. Good. Uh, I was with uh, Senator Rubio and Senator Nelson recently. I gave them both models of the bridges because they both were yeah. real supportive. So I think that that's sort of as far as the background, that's part yeah. of it. Uh, the, to, to your point, you're asking the question, um, so my, my vocation is real estate. So that's, that's where I make my income and make my money. Real estate is also, I think, one of the best examples I ever can see, an example of institutional racism. Mm. So when I meet CEOs of real estate companies, I don't know any of their real racist. I never meet anybody's racist. The opposite. I meet lots of CEOs who say, gosh, I want more diversity. I have a joke in my business that we have a diversity in our industry. We have old white guys and young white guys. Yeah. We have both. Yeah. We have yeah. both, right? <laughs> um, but so how are we going to break that up? And so to me, to focus on real estate education at historically black colleges, we can do a lot of things to address, address issues. Mm. We address poverty. We can address ownership. We can address uh, the getting more diversity in the commercial real estate. There's a lot of things we can do there. So even if we were to cleanse out racism, right, which mm -hmm. would be a wonderful thing, that's an example of institutional racism that that there's a there's a link to that. That's a really good, you know, and, and when I talked about <clears throat> Joel, his generation really is. It's this is not a deal with them. You right. know. Right. It's it's my generation that's that's that it remains a difficulty. Um, but but uh, again, John, one of the things that I uh, that I love about you is that you um I, I, you you just became the chairman of the board of FM uh, AMU. FMU Law School, and you pointed out that you're neither black nor a lawyer, right? You know, right. and 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 so you don't let the categories really get in your way right. when it comes to service, right? That's and right. I and I love that. I love that. Um, it also answers that for me. I mean, the the thing you just uh, said is is really helpful in in describing. The the issues for me in a, in a way that I can understand better because uh, if anyone's listening that's kind of I don't know born nineteen eighty or later uh, then the question is like well won't racism just go away when all the racists are dead uh, which will be you know 
who knows? It's going to happen. Uh, and then because none of us are racist and, and that's that's painting with broad brush. But um, institutional racism and and the and the cure for that is something that uh, that really is intriguing to me because it's uh, uh, would you would you not to put you too much on the spot and uh, you can keep your answer relatively short because we only have two minutes here. Right. Um, oh, I've got to do my thing where I say yeah. we are talking to John Crossman, who yeah. is a genius real estate man who helps <laughs> people a lot, uh, including us. Uh, so. Uh, but the, the question is institutional racism. What does that mean to you? Does it just mean the way the system is set without any other input, it's only going to churn out old white guys or how, right. how does it, is let me, let me try to answer this and, and I'll try to do this in 30 seconds. Okay. Okay. <laughs> the civil war ends, uh, slaves are freed, uh, in the South. Uh, if you're an African-American like, Hey, you can vote now you're freed. Uh, there's only one catch is you have to own real estate to vote. And by the way, it's illegal for you to own real estate. Yeah. Mm. So for another 100 years, yeah. you can't vote. Yeah. So you have communities all across the South uh, where it's over 50% of the population is black, but they can't vote. Mm. So then 1966 and the civil rights movement all happens. And now you can own real estate, right? Um, but then you don't know how, right? Yeah. And so you don't, you've never been taught. So I actually had a conversation with a, a representative of the, uh, of the White House under Obama's administration where I talked about this being a gap in the civil rights movement. During the civil rights movement, we talked about housing, but we were talking about the education of housing. Yeah. And, and the White House agreed with that. And I wrote a white paper for them about that very subject. That's, that's really, that's really, uh, it's fascinating. Um, so and I read it. Did you? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I didn't. Um, I don't. I don't see color. I just read the paper. Um, so uh, when we get back, we're going to discuss this uh, further. We have John Crossman, and we're going to be back with him in just a minute. Welcome back to the bright side here on News Radio One Hundred Two Five WFLA. The bright side is a show about helping you help others. Uh, and, and today we have the pleasure of talking to John Crossman, who is a guy who, get this, helps others. No, no yeah. way. This is why. I thought he was a businessman. I thought he was a, oh, oh, a, so a much deeper. nationally known businessman. Much more so deeper. surface. Okay, good. Uh, so before we went to the break, we were talking, uh, we were talking to you, John. Thank you for tolerating that. Uh, <laughs> talking to you about... Um, this idea of institutional racism, which is a very enlightening idea to me because uh, I've heard the phrase before, but I've heard a lot of phrases, you know, homogenous. I, that's a phrase. Uh, pasteurized. There's, there's lots of phrases uh, and words. With that one, it helps to explain why it's not just, hey, this new generation of free thinkers, uh, you know, the, the new hippies coming in, every, everything will be okay because racism will go away. It, there is... There's the inability to break out of a cycle where right. where it's it's set up to be exclusive, um, and so you have chosen to focus specifically on education. Uh, right. Not not only, but but in a it's large a core part. part of what I do. Yeah. What is it about that that makes that is the way to break the cycle? I mean, what 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 does education do specifically? Well, I think that every study that we've ever seen and know about is that education is the key to the going to the next level. You know, a more educated society is a more productive society, is a healthier society, every way you can see about it. 
Um, I think that one thing might, people might think is uh, why black colleges? Like, why why do we have black colleges? Like, do we have white colleges? And I people, have wondered that people, uh, without people, even realizing it. Yeah, yeah that's, people, that's people, interesting. People don't yeah. ask that because they think they're going to get trouble for asking, but they're thinking it. Yeah, um, I've so, never thought that. Yeah, so what I would say back, sometimes people say to me, I say, well, you know, why do we have BYU? Uh, why do we have Jesuit schools? Why do we have, you know, there well, there's, there are lots of schools out there. My dad went to Wabash College in AM, which is mm-hmm. all-male school, and Frankly, I've been there, and I think there's value for that, too, for mm-hmm. certain people. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the reality is, is that we're trying to help people in their education take the next step. And I want you to visualize something. If there uh, uh, is a young Haitian family that moves to Central Florida, and they have a daughter, and the daughter does really well, and she gets accepted to Rice University, and um, that might be so exciting. They go, oh, she's going to go to Rice University, but the parents are like, where's Rice? Uh, how are we going to get there? How are we going to get this kid there? And like, so maybe the kid goes there, but they actually, that may be a struggle, right? But if we can take that same student, put them at Florida A&M, at, at FAMU, and they go there and they're still surrounded by a greater uh, Caribbean or Haitian community at school, they're more likely to be successful, mm. okay? And they're more likely to make it. So uh, diversity at all schools is a, is a great thing, but I think that it's proven out we have needs where sometimes we have uh, people that come from families where maybe they didn't have a father in the household. They may need a little bit additional resources from a family environment on a mm-hmm. campus, um, but that's, there's a place for that. That's a really helpful viewpoint. I mean, that, that helps me understand it a little better. It's, it's this idea of it's, it's a community because of the inclusivity that it provides rather than the exclusivity. I mean, it's not based on, it's not based on, Hey, we're, we're keeping this pure. We're keeping this pure because, uh, we're going to be exclusive Mormons, uh, right. in the case of BYU, it's because there's a, there's an inclusivity and a, and a welcoming right. so you can thrive. Uh, and that makes sense. And right. the key, the key is the, is the freedom to choose either, mm-hmm. you know, according to how the kid's wired, the kid may be wired to really thrive in a more diverse setting. Um, or, um, the kid may be, um, someone who needs more of a understanding community that, that is more, uh, more like a greenhouse effect, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm growing up in a controlled climate mm-hmm. um, because I haven't quite got to the place yet where I just want to spring out into this whole new world where nobody's like me. Um, but, but at least they have the freedom. And to, up to this time or, or much for much of our history, they didn't have the freedom to make that choice. Well, like, can, I, can I add something on top of that? Sure. So I mentioned about running You're the guest. We're supposed to be talking. We're supposed to be letting you talk. <laughs> so I, I mentioned the, the track thing, and I, I brought that up for a reason, and that is that when I was at FSU, I ran in the FAMU Relays all four years I was there. Mm. And the FAMU Relays are predominantly historically black colleges plus FSU because it's a mile away. So when I was running track college, I, I got exposure to Morehouse and all these other Howard and all these other outstanding black colleges. And so I was very much aware of, aware of that. And I'll tell you that uh, I do a lot of college lectures. I lecture at UF and FSU and UCF regularly, plus other schools in the Southeast. If you two came with me and I said, I just want you to sit in the audience or, or sit beside me on stage at lectures. And after we did 20 of them, I said, pick one school to go back to. I promise you, you would pick FAMU. That's huh. the one you would, you wow. would want to go back to. And I'll tell you why. When I guest lecture at FAMU SBI, there'll be 80 students in the audience. They'll all be in suits. And when it goes to Q&A, 80 hands will go up. Wow. And it will terrify you how much they know about you. That, they wow. researched you. Oh my it goodness. Is the That's best, impressive. It is impressive. It's the best experience as a lecturer you're ever going to have as guest lecturing at, at FAMU. 
it's awesome. That's really, really interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that's that's a good thing. So yeah, because uh, yeah, I'm I'm normally if I give if I give a talk anywhere, I'm just really happy if if uh, like only two or three people nod off. And so the fact like that, you know people <laughs> we are have a low bar. Uh, yeah, we have a low bar for yeah. so yeah. Look, look, Dr. Hunt, listen to this. So I lectured at FAMU one time, and I was taking questions from students about real estate. And one young lady stood up and professionally introduced herself and said. Mr. Crossman, you manage buildings. And I said, yes. And she said, well, have you ever thought about managing a cruise ship? And I said, well, why would I do that? She goes, isn't that essentially a building put on the water? Mm. And I was like, that's the most genius <laughs> question yeah. I've ever heard in my yeah. life. Yeah. I need to get into that. Short-term landlord. <laughs> right. yeah. but, I, but it was that like that kind of experience that was just so impressive. So, you know, look, here's, what I, here's one of the things I would want your listeners to know if, if they're a business people is as you do recruiting, Think about including HBCUs in your recruitment. So, now, for, for our listeners, tell, tell that's, them that's what... It. That's high business college universities. No, no. It's historically black <laughs> colleges, universities, and oh, that would okay. include FAMU, Bethune-Cookman, uh, you know, Clark, Howard Spellman. And, and here's the thing, guys. Um, I don't think that diversity is about lowering the bar. It's about widening the net. Mm. Was the 1955 University of Alabama football team the best representative athletes in the state? Mm -hmm. No, it was not. Um, and so when you have, when you have it, uh, diversity, it gets more people and the most qualified. I would tell you when you're recruiting, hire your best candidates, whoever they are. Yeah. But I'm telling you, if you go to black colleges, you'll find some of your best candidates there. Just like if you're recruiting in Central Florida, Valencia is going to have some of the best candidates mm -hmm. you're ever going to meet. Yeah. yeah, that was one of the things we, we, we uh, got to talk to the the president of Valencia College. Uh, I, I was just amazed at how much stuff that they're doing too. I mean, right. there's just, there's such a, there's such a wide range of, of, uh, of, of, of educational opportunities. Um, so we have to, we have to close before too long here. Um, but what I wanted to close on was just, you, you touched on this a little bit earlier. Um, you, you weren't a lifer in the exact same way that you're helping right now. You know, it's something right. that kind of evolved and, and like any evolution, uh, it, it happened through, you know, this, this thing doesn't work. So I'm going to adapt and change and, and, you know, look for something else. Uh, if you were just giving advice to the people listening about what, how, how you found what it is that you really do the best at, how, how would they do that? Uh, like both in, in what, where would they look to find ways to help? How would they know if this is something that works for them or doesn't? Uh, Cause I think people would want to uh, help if they knew that it was something they could do and be good at. Well, sure. Well, first off, say is that there's lots of places to help, and and you can do easily through your church or a school that you're involved in. Those are easy steps, and I would say just try. Just like when I used to tell my daughters, "Eat your peas, you know, mm -hmm. eat your carrots." Just try them one time. Maybe you like them. You never know. Um, so you got to try. I think you can make a short-term commitment. You could just try it. And say, "I'm going to try this for three weeks." Just try something, and keep honing in until you find what really connects to you. But there are lots and lots and lots of people out there that could use your help. You know, um, if you go to assisted living facility, you'll you'll be shocked and there are people that are there and no one comes to see them. Mm -hmm. uh, there are a lot of people incarcerated in Central Florida and no one comes to see mm -hmm. them. And some people might hear me say that and say, well, good. And I would say, well, you know. Jesus, I'd say, chill out, man. Yeah, I would yeah. say Jesus was incarcerated. <laughs> yeah. And I would also, on top of that, it's like most people are going to get out of prison at some point. And if we can help them have a healing process, I, I attended the best graduation I've ever attended in my life this year. And it was at the 33rd street jail through Valencia. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I thank you guys for doing this. I think the fact you guys are bringing attention to this issue is key. My last thing as a warning is we live in a society right now where people seem to think that if you talk on social media, that was your way of giving. Yeah. It's not social media. It's doing, yeah. doing what you're doing. Yeah, I, I, I feel like that's a really great summarization of what you've what you shared with us today. Is that uh, 
thoughts and prayers uh, by themselves are just, it's kind of like having a fork and spoon and no food. I mean, it's, it's just, it's not, it's not enough. You know, always meant to be together. Always meant to be together. So actually do something and as well as just think about it. It's nice to think about stuff. Uh, it's just uh, if someone has a problem, yeah. you're thinking about it isn't going to help quite prayer, as much. Prayer is powerful, but the Lord has a, a way of coming back to you and said, that's what I expected you to do. <laughs> yeah. uh, thank you so much for being here, John. This was such Thanks, a pleasure. John. Really appreciate it. And thank you guys for listening. Uh, now you can go out and help somebody. We'll see you next time. <laughs>